Hi, good morning. This is uh, Holger Ernst uh, speaking. I'm professor of technology and innovation management at uh, WHU Otto Beisheim School of uh, Management uh, in Germany, and you are listening to IP Fridays. Hello, and welcome to this episode of IP Fridays. Our names are Ken Suzanne and Rolf Clayson, and this is the podcast dedicated to intellectual property. It does not matter where you are from, in-house or private practice, novice or expert. We will help you stay up to date with current topics in the fields of trademarks, patents, design and copyright, discover useful tools, and much more. Welcome to episode 97 of IP Fridays. Today's interview guest is Holger Ernst of WHU, Otto Beisheim School of Management. And we will talk about patent management and artificial intelligence and much more. But before we jump into the interview, I have some news for you. Lego has sent a cease and desist letter to YouTuber Thomas Panke. He is a big fan of Lego actually. And he is posting videos about Lego products uh, for a long time now. Now he has a logo of a blue Lego brick with three knobs of Lego. And Lego has now sent a cease and desist letter to this YouTuber in order to enforce their trademark of Lego. They see uh, that he infringes the trademark by using the Lego name in his logo. And as you can imagine, this has been quite a wrong move by Lego because sometimes communication is better than legal enforcement. A big shitstorm ensued in Germany and Lego has a lot of trouble fighting this shitstorm. So if you are thinking about enforcing your trademark and you see there might be a problem with social media or with public resentment. Sometimes communicating is better than enforcing. Yesterday, the USPTO has published a short memo regarding funding and the shutdown of the government in the US. They say that funding should be sufficient for patent operations to last until at least the second week in February and trademark operations to last until at least mid-April 2019. So let's see if the government shutdown can be ended before the second week in February. Now let's jump into the interview with Professor Ernst. Today's guest is Professor Dr. Holger Ernst. If you don't know who Holger is, he is currently serving as Chair of Technology and Innovation Management in WHU Otto Beisheim School of Management in Germany. And he's holding this position since 2000. Um, he studied business at Kiel University and University of Illinois at Shop Urbana-Champaign. He's also giving customized individual trainings for larger Fortune 500 companies. And he's also uh, visiting professor at Kellogg School of Management in of Northwestern and uh, among many other things uh, thank you for being on the show you're very welcome Rolf looking forward uh, to chatting with you Yes, um, you have published quite a few articles about IP management and in particular patent management. Um, and also you have um, created a tool patent site uh, quite a while ago and, has, uh, and you have sold this tool 
last year to LexisNexis, as far as I know. Um, so let's uh, start with uh, the general IP management strategies. Uh, what has changed in the recent years and how does IP management look today compared to a couple of years ago? Uh, yes, thank you very much for the question. Well, if that's really a big one, and I might take uh, a little while to answer that uh, question. So historically, uh, we wouldn't even talk about IP management or IP departments in companies because there was an exclusive focus on patents only. We had classic patent uh, departments, and uh, they were mainly focused on uh, the administration of patent filings, remunerating inventors, uh, the, the approach was very, very much reactive, mostly inventor-driven, and uh, the outcome uh, were uh, uh, patent filings uh, and the key performance uh, indicator of those activities, the number of patents filed. There was hardly any explicit link with uh, the corporate strategy. Patent strategies didn't really exist, and no one really asked the question, what are we getting out of uh, that in terms of strategic or financial value created out of those uh, patent filings. There was hardly any accountability. Uh, again, no one really looking at ROI of the investments in patents and outcomes, hardly any top management uh, exposure, and the focus was mainly on legal aspects, but not so much on financial or strategic uh, aspects. Um, we know from our own empirical research that uh, the number of patents a company owns is not correlated with any relevant financial or strategic performance uh, uh, measures. So you can't argue the more patents you own, the better it is for the company. What really matters is how you manage strategically your portfolio of, of patents and not only patents, your entire portfolio of intellectual property, also including other uh, IP regimes uh, such as trademarks. And today, the, the situation has fundamentally uh, changed. Today, we have strategic IP management uh, departments that focus on the comprehensive management of multiple IPs, including patents, uh, over the life cycle of products to really maximize the strategic and financial value out of the entire IP created by an organization. Companies have explicit IP strategies. They really link them with their corporate and business strategies. Uh, there is uh, accountability, top management exposure, uh, where IP departments need to uh, showcase that the outcome really creates value to the uh, company. So it's not so much more about uh, the administration of patent filings, the focus really is on uh, creating a high-impact IP portfolio and looking for multiple ways to increase the financial and strategic returns from those kind of investments. The approach is proactive, strategic. The IP department is highly embedded in the entire organization, so they had to overcome the silo mentality. They're interacting with multiple parts in the organization, whether it's marketing, R&D, innovation processes, uh, and they're using new tools like analytics to showcase to the top management 
what they have achieved, for example, by benchmarking their IP portfolio against competitors. And the key performance indicator today is value, patent value, IP value in terms of creating value to firms and not so much just the number of patents a company owns. And there is very, very strong accountability and top management exposure because top management has understood that IP is a very important vehicle to achieve competitive advantage. And uh, the IP department, through new method tools and KPIs, is able to showcase their contribution uh, to important value dimensions top management is looking for. So today, the situation has fundamentally changed over the last 10 years. Sorry for the long answer, but it mm -hmm. was a big question. Ah, yes, of course. Uh, that was the goal. <laughs> so um, you talk about the financial return of patents or how uh, what is what the value of patents is um the value of patents can either be you know measured in dollars uh, by selling the patent to someone or licensing out a patent or prohibiting competitors entering a market um there are numerous different um ways uh, that a patent can be of value to the company how do you translate um, these more complex functions of a patent, for example, keeping competitors out of a certain market in in money, in dollars and euros. I mean, selling a patent, of course, is clear that the, the price uh, of the patent will be the value of the patent. <laughs> But um, there are so many other more complex functions of a patent um, where the patent can have uh, value for the company. How do you measure the value? Uh, so fundamentally, you're absolutely right. Patents can create value to the firm uh, through numerous ways, and you mentioned uh, the most uh, common ones. And now you're asking me a little bit about uh, uh, the, the the real value uh, of patents, uh, particularly from, uh, if I understand you correctly, the internal use of patents to protect own products or innovations companies uh, have on the market. And here, the real uh, uh strategic and financial value comes into the picture when companies have and the real value driver is successful uh, innovations on the markets customers are, are willing to pay for uh, innovations that create value to customers that set the innovation apart from other products out in the market where companies can really charge premium prices and that's where the patent if you protect that to allow companies to charge high prices for very, very valuable products that excite customers that's where the real financial value of patents comes comes in because they protect valuable innovations uh, consumers are paying for in the market a great example is uh, is, is is dyson uh, who really came up with the backless vacuum uh, cleaners so this backless vacuum cleaner has great value propositions to customers that is why it became a very successful innovation out in the market and Dyson protects the key functionalities that create value to customers through patents and actually you can find those patents on the Dyson website and you can actually assign them to the innovation the backless vacuum cleaner and when you now look at the financial performance of James Dyson you see that the The, the new product, the innovation, protected by patents, so it was difficult for others to copy, created superior financial performance in terms of price premiums Dyson can charge and sales and overall revenues of, uh, of, of, uh, of the company. That's where the real value of the IP uh, really comes in, protecting successful innovations companies are making money with uh, on, the, on the market. And now 
what I have done in my research, and that later uh, led to the Patent Asset Index, which is the fundamental basis of the Patent Site Analytics uh, our platform, is to find objective measures of patent value that indirectly reflect what I just talked about. So in the case of James Dyson, when you look at the Patent Asset Index, the objective metric to measure patent quality based on objective criteria like citations and the international uh, scope of uh, patent protection, you can see that James Dyson has a much higher Patent Asset Index, particularly in the area of practice vacuum cleaners in comparison to uh, uh, its competitors. And you could see a direct correlation between innovation, high value patents as measured by the patent asset index and superior financial performance. And that is why we believe that this patent asset index is a very good measure uh, of patent quality in an objective way and can use this to benchmark yourself against uh, competitors. That's very much grounded in my own empirical research, uh, that patent asset index, and it's a really good indicator, an objective indicator you can use to benchmark yourself against competitors. And companies like Siemens, for example, use that indicator to uh, benchmark its positions against uh, competitors in key business areas, in key technologies, and that is reported to the top management on a regular basis uh, to really uh, show how Siemens is doing in terms of uh, uh, patent position vis-a-vis -vis key competitors and uh, tracking this over over time. So you see that link between value indicators and how you can use this now to better manage and plan your portfolio uh, and communicate this to top management. Um, you just mentioned um, the analytics tool patent site that you created. Um, and of course, there are many other um, comparable yes. uh, analytics tools on the market. Um, so what, in your opinion, are the most important analytics outcomes or reports that can be valuable to assess the value of the of patents of IP and report it to management. What, in your opinion, is the most reliable um, way to report the value of the IP portfolio to the top management? Uh, so uh, I believe that uh, it's very important uh, to use the right kind of metric. Um, so I can give you uh, an example. Uh, every uh, company wants to identify new technological trends or disruptive technologies as early as possible in order to change its R&D strategy. Because the longer you overlook certain technological trends, the more dangerous uh, it is. And in the earlier days, uh, patent departments supplied top management with the classic uh, figures and charts uh, showing the number of patents filed in certain areas over time. And what could uh, top management and decision makers see? Almost nothing, because it was just really looking at the needle in the haystack. You had a lot of you know, uh, classic graphs and developments over time, but very often you didn't see much. What is very important is that you put a smart indicator on top of that, for example, the patent asset index, uh, really looking at the quality, the value of patents vis-a-vis -vis just the number of patents filed. And suddenly you can see patterns. And suddenly you see new technologies coming up in time. I can give you an example. Uh, you could have told uh, the Swiss uh, company Swatch, which is 
well known to all of us, almost 10 years prior to Apple launching its first smartwatch, that Apple was going to develop a smartwatch based on smart pattern analytics, where you look at the quality uh, of patent activity over time. If you had just looked at the numbers of patents filed over time, you would not have seen Apple's move into that area 10 years prior to launching the product. And Apple today is the number one watchmaker, not only in the smartwatch industry, but overall. So in other words, it really depends on the quality of the indicator, the metric you use. Otherwise, analytic tools uh, won't uh, work. And if you, if you have that, you can use this for multiple applications. Now I talked about technological forecasting. Uh, but you can use it for the identification of uh, M1A targets. Uh, when we talk about IP monetization, you can use this to find potential license, uh, licensing, uh, licensees, uh, organizations that are willing to license your, your technology. Or you can benchmark yourself against competitors to see whether your R&D position has improved. So there are multiple things you can do and you speak the language of the top management and that's the real power of those analytic tools. But the, the, the quality of the data and, and, and looking at the quality of patents does matter. If you just look at patent filings as you used to do this historically, you typically don't see much. Then you have a lot of data, but you have no insights. Um, you mentioned uh, the patent asset index as the main Uh, indicator for the quality of a patent portfolio, but this is uh, to me kind of a black box. I don't know where this patent asset index comes from. Of course, you don't have to uh, reveal your secret source how to calculate the patent asset index, but I would be really interested in what, uh, what are the most important factors that go into this patent asset index? What are the most important um, yeah, factors that determine the value of a patent portfolio or a patent? Oh, Rolf, this is not a secret. So, uh, <laughs> no, it's published in an article. You know, yeah, in, in World Patent Information 2011, together with uh, uh, my colleague and uh, other co-founder of, uh, of PatentSight, uh, Niels, uh, where we really now disclose the methodology fundamentally. And uh, we have done also a lot of validation studies. Uh, very important to us since we are coming or we came from a scientific background. We did a lot of studies to validate the patent asset index, showing that there's a huge correlation between the patent asset index and some of the value dimensions, Rolf, you mentioned earlier, for example, licensing uh, income, uh, whether you uh, were able to survive litigation or uh, asking companies, look, what are your most important patents protecting your innovations on the markets? And all these, or, or what are your most important patents? And all these kind of metrics correlate very well with our patent asset index. So this is an objective indicator, but it's very much correlated with the real value drivers and dimension we talked about earlier. So the two main dimensions uh, of the patent asset index are technology relevance and market coverage. Technology relevance, and those are the two typical dimensions we use in innovation research to assess the value of innovations. So the idea is you have to have a superior technology, but it's also important how big the market is, the technology 
actually can uh, address. And that is why we combine those two dimensions. And technology relevance is dimension one, and this is a citation-based uh, indicator. Uh, so the fundamental idea is the more a patent family gets cited, the more important it is. But it's not as trivial as that. We correct for a lot of systematic distortions. For example, the age of the patent. Older patents get cited more often than younger patents. So that would create a systematic bias. Citation patterns vary across technology fields and patent offices. So we correct for those systematic distortions to calculate technology relevance for a patent family. Market coverage is the second dimension, and that is based on uh, understanding the legal status of a patent around the world. So, for example, if you have a granted patent in a particular market, well, we would calculate the market coverage based on the fact that you have a granted and valid a live patent. And then we would weigh this according to the size of the market. The idea is small markets like Please forgive me when I mention Austria is not as big as the US market or the Chinese market. So a granted and valid Austrian patent would get uh, a lower weight than a granted valid patent you have in the, uh, in the US. The weight comes from the size of the market, for example, the gross national product, or if you have other information on the size of the market, you can weigh this accordingly. And then we multiply relevance and coverage at the family level, very important, not at the portfolio level, but at the family level. That gives you the competitive impact, the importance of a patent family, and now you can sum this up over the entire portfolio, over technology fields or product fields, or even inventors to come up with a patent asset index. So Overall, the patent asset index is a combination of quantity and quality, looking at the size of the portfolio and weighing this with its average quality, the competitive impact. And that, as I mentioned earlier, we have validated and found out that this correlates very, very, very strongly with important dimensions of financial, strategic, and legal value of a patent family. Um, I have a question for the market coverage yeah. uh, factor. Um, you mentioned that the size of the market is important, of course. Yeah. Yeah? China is much bigger than Austria and India is much bigger than Austria. But do you also um, take into account the enforceability in these countries? For example, it might be more difficult for a foreigner to enforce a patent in India than in Germany. Yeah, absolutely right. And I know this very well. No, but we don't do that because very difficult. Uh, to get that kind of information and make that kind of assessment. So we need to understand that kind of limitation. The patent as an index, it's, an, it's not a legal assessment, nor does it put a dollar or euro value on the patent. What we have found is the patent asset index correlates with, for example, uh, we have done a validation study where we show that uh, patents with a high patent asset index survive litigation Uh, in a very, very successful way. So patents with a high patent asset index are hard, uh, are, are much stronger to enforce and will survive litigation uh, more likely than other patents. It also then shows that patents with a high patent asset index obviously uh, did disturb the competition and they were trying to get away of those kind of pants, but they couldn't because uh, they were they were strong. So that is some kind of indication that patents with a high patent index also have a much stronger legal value. But uh, we do not, how shall I say, Uh, 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 make a full legal uh, uh, assessment. That's what the patent asset index uh, can't uh, do. So that is why we don't really have that specific information. 
Right. Okay. Um, I understand. But uh, as I understand, the Patent Asset Index is a really great tool to compare the portfolios of different companies and compare your own portfolio to your competitors or patents to your competitors and so on. Yeah, and it, it's, and it's scientifically um, well proven. Yeah. And maybe as, as a piece right. of information, the European Commission just used the Patent Asset Index to, to make an approval on the big merger in the chemical industry between Dow and DuPont. Uh, and they, they disclosed that and they said how they used our methodology to assess the impact of the merger on the future uh, market structure in terms of innovation. And they had to make that assessment how the merger will impact future innovation. And for that, you need to measure innovation, technology-based innovation. And they used our metric and they cleared the merger uh, under certain conditions where Dow DuPont had to divest certain parts of the business. And the whole analysis was actually done based on the patent asset methodology because the EU Commission believed that whatever there is, that seems to be the most valid uh, approach to measure technology-based innovation in the chemical industry because it is uh, scientifically uh, proven. So it seems to be a good method. Very impressive. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, I want to turn to a different aspect completely unrelated to these uh, analytics. Uh, in the beginning, you mentioned that it is very important nowadays uh, compared to uh, earlier days to have a cross-functional team, IP team, where the trademark team talks to the design team, talks to the patent team, talks to the marketing people, talks yeah. to the communications people, uh, to the financial guys in the in a company. So um, how does that impact the value of the IP portfolio, the value of the company, in your opinion? And uh, how does that work in practice, like on a, in, in daily life of a, of a patent department or an IP department? Uh, this is a very important uh, question. And let me focus on two, uh, two aspects. Well, first of all, we have done also in, uh, a scientific study where we looked at uh, the integration and collaboration of the IP function with research and development, with the new product development uh, team throughout the new product development process and how this affects the outcome of a new product development project in terms of market share financial success. And what we found is the higher the collaboration of the IP function with R&D and also with marketing in your product development, particularly for highly innovative products, and the stronger the contributions of the IP department along the process, the more successful is the innovation that comes out of that new product development uh, uh, process. So this clearly proves that the contribution of the IP department along the entire new product development process is absolutely critical. In the earlier days, uh, the IP department or the patent department came in very late. People were thinking about patent protection towards the end of the process, just before the product would hit the market. Now, the IP function is involved very early in the process to define technologies, look at what competitors are doing, uh, linking uh, uh, what customers may want to a proper no, patent uh, uh, a position that can be achieved, and then R&D later builds on that. So today, in modern companies, the IP function is deeply involved into the process right from the beginning, and from an organizational setup, very often for important innovative products, IP uh, 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 people are part of those cross-functional new product development teams right from the from the beginning. This is very, very uh, important. 
And the second part, and you mentioned that in your question, is the trademark issue. And uh, what we know from aspirin or now a recent case is, uh, is uh, uh, Nespresso. Uh, for Nespresso, all the patents have expired. But what remains is the brand. But you need time to build the brand. And the time where you can enjoy exclusivity on the market, so Nespresso invented the capsuled coffee market. They had the key patents. And they were on the market alone for many years. And they used that. Uh, to build a very, very, very strong brand. And today, once the patents have expired, the brands, the brand does protect Nespresso. And that's very important. We, those integrated IP strategies, as you can see over the life cycle of the product, the functional protection will expire through patents, but then the brand will take over and ideally the brand will have indefinite uh, life. This does not protect the function, but it's a source identifier. It's Nespresso, it's the brand. But it has to be built through patents and branding, marketing, advertising, new product development. And here you see that then the IP department to make those strategy work also needs to interact with branding, marketing, sales to build this brand while you enjoy exclusivity. If you do this too late, uh, then uh, those kind of value transference strategy, as we uh, call them, do not work. By the way, we published a paper in California Management Review where we talk about this value articulation uh, framework together with my friend James Conley from uh, the Kellogg School of Management, where we showcase Nespresso uh, uh, and other uh, cases in other industries, also in pharmaceuticals, uh, how these value transference integrated IP strategies do work over the entire lifetime of the, of the product. And that is a very, very important uh, approach. And that shows that IP today is not restricted to the silo patent department, but has a much broader exposure to other parts of the organization. And that is why this uh, high organizational embeddedness with other parts of the company, R&D, new business development, marketing, branding is very, very core and very, very important. And as we all know, brand value very often is very important to the overall value of the firm. If you look at the interbrand uh, brand, uh, uh, assessment study every year, you see how important from a monetary standpoint the brand is. And here you see how IP contributes to this in a very, very significant way. Um, I, in, the, in the end of this interview, I want to turn to a controversial topic, um, artificial intelligence. Uh, <laughs> so uh, artificial intelligence, we just talked about how uh, the patent departments or how the IP departments will make their life easier in the, in the future and how they have to work together and how they have a cross-functional team, basically. Um, but how does artificial intelligence um, Uh, make the life easier of uh, of the applicants of the patent holders and how will AI disrupt the legal market the patent legal market the patent attorneys market in your opinion? Ah, well, if this is a big question and it's always difficult to predict the future. Well, we know we, <laughs> of course we know a lot of examples where so-called experts were completely wrong in predicting the future. For example, no, in the case of uh, personal computers and so forth. So I, I need to be very, very careful about about this. But I'm I'm sure artificial intelligence will have a huge impact when we look at the existing analytics tools. Uh, when you they they are smart. Given what we have done in the past, but when you really look at the potential of artificial intelligence, I can see a very different 
uh, uh, analytics uh, approach where you can get much more meaningful insights out of the vast amount of patent data based on real artificial intelligence, which is going to make it much easier for users to really find insights in a much more effective and efficient way than what we have been used to uh, in the last five to 10 years. So artificial intelligence will have a huge impact on analytics and will make analytics much more powerful in the future. But it is not so easy. It's easier said than done because the patent data and the language used in patents is more difficult than other areas where we already see a much bigger impact of artificial intelligence but it's going to have a huge impact on patent analytics i'm 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 very very sure about it we'll see uh major developments in the next five years what we also see is we have startups like turbo patent out there and their vision is to actually completely uh digitize the process of filing patents actually making patent attorneys obsolete uh, so that's the vision behind it. And as far as I know, they already have certain products and tools out there and they have customers. Uh, so I see a huge impact of AI technologies also on the classic uh, activities of patent attorneys and let's say old-fashioned patent departments. But that means that patent attorneys and also old-fashioned patent departments need to move into the future and understand that their real value contribution in the firm may not necessarily be just the filing process and the documentation and inventory remuneration, but the real value contribution lies in those areas we talked about in this interview. So in that sense, also patent attorneys and patent departments or IP departments need to change and move into those new areas, then they shouldn't worry about artificial intelligence. Uh, it's going to be an enabler, but uh, they need to also move into the future. That's my recommendation. Yes, of course. Um, and I completely agree with you. So we have covered a really broad range of topics and I uh, guess that uh, the listeners will have tons of questions. Um, um, for you, uh, where would they be able to reach you best? Well, the best is just to send me an email at uh, hernst at w, uh, uh, .edu anytime. Uh, I'm happy to, uh, to answer all kinds of, uh, of questions. Just shoot me an email and you also find all my contact details also online uh, on the WHU uh, webpage. But sending me an email is the easiest. Well, Holger, thank you very much for this super interesting interview. Uh, thank you for being on the show. Not at all. It was a great pleasure. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity, Rolf. That's it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please show us your love by visiting ipfridays.com slash love. And tweet a link to this show. We would be so grateful if you would do that. It would help us out to get the word out. Also, please subscribe to our podcast at ipfridays.com or on iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you have a question or want to be featured in one of the upcoming episodes, please send us your feedback at ipfridays.com feedback. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can go to ipfridays.com slash iTunes and it will take you right to the correct page on iTunes. If you want to get mentioned on this podcast or even have comments within the next episode, please leave us your voicemail at ipfridays.com slash voicemail. You have been listening to an episode of IP Fridays. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by their respective law firms. 
None of the content should be considered legal advice. The IP Fridays podcast should not be construed as legal advice or legal opinion on any specific facts or circumstances. The contents of this podcast are intended for general informational purposes only, and you are urged to consult your own lawyer on any specific legal questions. As always, consult a lawyer or patent or trademark attorney. Copyright 2014. All rights reserved.